Well, I can't believe it's already April and the legal news in the pop culture sphere is not slowing down. Have you heard about the Satan shoes? Maybe you've heard about Real Housewife of Salt Lake City, Jen Shaw, being arrested on federal wire fraud and conspiracy to money launder charges. What is happening? I'm going to do a case brief on those two cases today where we're going to look at where they are and what is happening, kind of the the TLDR version of these cases because I have lots of in-depth content on them in other places. So today on this episode, it's time to just catch you up. If you're like, Emily, WTF is happening with these. Don't worry, I've got you. And if you're like, girl, what's TLDR? it's, It's internet slang for too long, didn't read. So this is meant to be a quick catch you up for both of those cases. You know what that means. We just need to get into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. If it feels like all of this has happened very quickly with Nike and the Satan shoes. You're right. This has all happened very, very quickly. Corporate counsel somewhere is making bank, working their ass off on this case because all of this just sped right along. This started March 26th when Twitter account Saint announced the collab between Mischief and Little Nas X over on the Twitter. That's right. The collab was between Mischief and Little Nas X, not, not between Nike and the devil. Some people believe that it is. And that really is the heart of the problem in this case, because Nike is arguing essentially that this is damaging their brand reputation because people are confused about the shoes. Well, you're going to have to tell me. You're going to have to tell me if you're confused about the shoes. If you follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker, you will be able to see pictures of these shoes. I'm going to repost it on Twitter and post an image of it up on Instagram. I also have videos over on YouTube about this where I break through all of the documents. So if you want to go see all of the visuals, head over there and let me know what you think. Tell me that you came from The Emily Show to check that out. As I said, this popped off on March 26th when the Twitter account Saint announced this collaboration saying Mischief X, Little Nas X, quote, Satan shoes. Nike Air Max 97s contains 60 cc's of ink and one drop of human blood, 666 pairs individually numbered, $1,018 each, March 29th, 2021. So the announcement was March 26th. The drop was March 29th on the Mischief app. Now, yes, the tweet does say Mischief X, Little Nas X, meaning the collab, but it also indicates that the shoe, the underlying shoe is a Nike Air Max. You know why? Because the underlying shoe is in fact a Nike Air Max. It is not, not a Nike. (laughs) It is a Nike shoe. It's a Nike shoe that's been modified with a 666 on the heel with a gold kind of pentagram medallion with the Bible verse Luke 1018 on the like front of the shoe with red ink injected into the kind of air bubble at the bottom of the shoe with a few other detailings. The back of the shoe says um, Mischief or Little Nas X instead of just saying Air Max. You know, the packaging is very satanic-ish, and they have an upside-down cross kind of on the top of the tongue of the sneaker. So a modified Nike shoe being sold as an art piece according 
to mischiefs filings in court. This also came in collaborations with Little Nod's exes, Montero, Call Me By Your Name song that recently dropped. So the song dropped, then these shoes dropped. Uh, They were doing a giveaway on Good Friday. People feel very attacked by the timing. But the music video, if you haven't seen it, you can go watch it on YouTube. But the music video depicts Little Nas X uh, going to hell, uh, seducing the devil, killing the devil, becoming the devil. Uh, There's a lap dance. There's a stripper pole. There's a very long wig. It's a whole, it's it's a visual experience. But Little Nas X has said, and Mischief has said in their court filings that the point of this song, the point of the collaboration was to kind of reclaim Little Nas X's power as a gay man, as a black gay man, as somebody who grew up in the church, uh, being told that he was going to hell for his sexual orientation. And this is his way of saying, uh, no, fuck that. I'm, I'm just... I'm going to I'm going to be the devil inside apparently. So that is, that is what it is. In the timing of the thing, when the shoe dropped on March 29th, it sold out in under a minute. And also on March 29th, Nike filed suit in the federal court in New York against mischief on March 30th, 2021, people started getting shipping notices that the Satan shoes were on the way. And you can see those on Twitter and other social medias. And now, you know, as I sit here and record this on April 5th, uh, people are already unboxing those shoes and getting them and, and sharing them on social media. So these shoes have shipped, which becomes relevant in a minute. On March 30th, Nike filed for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction, which we'll go over in a minute. On March 31st, Mischief responded to the temporary restraining order saying, yo, yo, um, the shoes all sold. All but one pair has shipped. The one pair that's supposed to be a giveaway, we won't do the giveaway because you've filed this um, request for temporary restraining order. And we're just, we're just done here. Like, we're not going to make them again. So no harm, no foul. Better to ask forgiveness than for permission. On April 1st, Nike responded um, saying, okay, well, if you've already shipped them, they should be recalled. On April 1st, there was a court hearing and the temporary restraining order was granted given that Nike had some likelihood of success on the merits of the case. And then they set a motion for April 23rd, for a preliminary injunction. A preliminary injunction means that whatever actions are in the temporary restraining order are going to be held through until the case is resolved. What will be interesting to see is if this gets modified now that Nike is aware that Mischief has shipped all 665 pairs of shoes. Nike is going to argue that those should be recalled. Mischief is going to argue that that would be ridiculous and they shouldn't be recalled. Can you imagine getting that recall notice? It's like, hi, these highly coveted shoes that sold out in a minute are being recalled. Could you please send them back to us to burn? People would be like, nah, I've already resold them on eBay. (laughs) There's no way for me to track them back down because now that these are in kind of the stream of commerce and the flow of commerce, it's going to be very hard to get the shoes back. I mean, would you give the shoes back? Let me know. Let me know if you would give the shoes back because, um, Because I don't know if I would. And it seems that a lot of people did buy them to resell them. There were quite a lot of posts for these shoes on eBay, even before the shipping notices went out. And people were saying, hey, confirmed purchase. So you can buy them on eBay because I have a confirmed order. And then when I get the shoes, I'll ship them to you. So let's talk about what uh, WTF is Nike suing for. Nike is suing Mischief Production Studio Inc. for trademark infringement in violation of 15 U.S.C. 1114, false designation of origin slash unfair competition in violation of 15 U.S.C. 1125, trademark dilution 
in violation of 15 U.S.C. 1125. And these U.S.C.s are United States Code. This is a federal case in the Eastern District of New York. And then common law trademark infringement and unfair competition. Nike took it directly to where Mischief is. They're like, look, Mischief is a New York-based company. Uh, We're just going to bring it to you. We're an organ-based company. We don't want to fight over jurisdiction. We're just going to come to your backyard and handle this. For those of you that have been following my content for any period of time, you're all going, oh, good, good. There's no question of jurisdiction because Nike just took it directly to where mischief is. Again, easy for a large corporation to do. They can just say, we're not going to choose to deal with that. Let's get to the heart of these charges real quick. The essential overview of this is the shoe is a Nike shoe but it has been so modified that it will now either dilute the brand. And so the trademark in the swoosh and the name Nike are going to be damaged or diluted because of this connection to the Satan shoe, or that the shoes have been altered so much that now the Nike swoosh is on a shoe that's no longer properly a Nike product. So it's now almost a counterfeit. That's that designation of origin. We don't know as a consumer where that shoe came from. Remember that the heart of trademark is that you understand the origin of the thing, who you bought it from. You understand that if you see that swoosh on a shoe, it's a Nike. You understand that if you see those swirly white letters on a red can, it's a Coca-Cola. You know that these are from who they say they're from. And Nike argues that that can happen both in the downstream effect, so when somebody uh, picks up these shoes after the retail market or the resale market and beyond. And that's the heart of the trademark allegations. Let's jump into a little bit of my thoughts. I think that when it comes to these trademark allegations, the dilution of the mark becomes kind of the stronger argument. I don't know if Nike is going to succeed on the you know, designation of origin, but they might because the argument for them is going to be, hey, people actually think this is a Nike collaboration. People actually think this is a Nike shoe. I think that goes to the brand dilution. Um, But some might say, no, it's also confusing that these didn't actually ship directly from Nike. These shoes in this form with these modifications are no longer a Nike product and therefore it's misuse of the brand. I have seen a lot of confusion on social media about these shoes. The marketing images on social media were little Nas X with a bright red background holding the shoe. It's a black shoe with that big white Nike swoosh. And there was outrage. The Twitters were a Twitter. I think Nike had no option but to sue over this to protect its trademark because of the outrage, but also because of the confusion. It was not like, oh, how dare mischief make this shoe out of a Nike shoe? It was, oh, how dare Nike make this shoe? And there really did seem on social media to be genuine confusion about whether this was a authorized Nike collaboration, whether Nike was producing this shoe, and and where this shoe came from. So perhaps the designation does stand a chance. Perhaps the brand dilution does stand a chance. I think on those two, they have some solid arguments here because based, you know, based on A, the law and B, the confusion that I've seen, whether it will be considered trademark infringement, the infringement argument really being at this point, hey, um, you've altered this shoe so much that the Nike swoosh is on it, but that's not our swoosh on our product that we controlled. Therefore, you're using our trademark illegally. That normally wouldn't be a problem where something's modified because the shoe it was at origin a Nike shoe. So the argument becomes it's been changed so much that it's now almost a counterfeit good on the shoe because the shoe's changed so it's no longer a Nike shoe. It'll be interesting to see how those two arguments play. Like it's changed so much, it's now almost like using a counterfeit mark because you're using this Nike mark on this shoe that's no longer a Nike because of the changes. But then also you haven't changed it enough that it's still confusing in the marketplace and people still think it's a Nike shoe. People only think it's a Nike shoe because it's a black shoe with that bright white Nike swoosh. And all the marketing materials just had little Nas X's face with some, you know, 
devilishly yellow contacts holding up the shoe. And if you go to my socials, you'll see pictures of that. So that is the heart of the lawsuit. The lawsuit itself did not ask for an injunction. That was asked for the next day. In the motion for a temporary restraining order, Nike argued that the only way to protect the brand was to stop these shoes from going out, that the shoes are likely to cause such significant damage to the brand if people are just out walking around in them, because the average consumer, the average person on the street will again see that bright white Nike swoosh and will not know that these are not genuine Nike airs that came from Nike. The argument being that there is so much outrage over this already that people are already so clearly confused that they need to stop the shoes from getting out into commerce. The arguments that the swoosh is a famous mark, which we know it's one of the most recognizable brand marks in the world, that It's the right of Nike as the trademark owner to maintain control over how its products go out, that Mischief or MSCHF is capitalizing on Nike's good name to sell these shoes along with the outrage of the sneaker, and that the only real option for the brand is to have that temporary restraining order. And the court agreed, but let's talk about what Mischief's response was to this. So first, Mischief responded on Twitter, and I'm just going to read their statement because Nike made a statement in their press release, uh, not press release. See, see, when I say lawsuits are becoming press releases, Nike made a statement in its lawsuit. So let's hear Mischief's statement that was again released on the Saint Twitter account on April 1st. The following is an official statement regarding the court case between Mischief and Nike. Mischief is a conceptual art collective known for interventions that engage fashion, art, tech, and capitalism in various, often unexpected mediums. We believe it is better to make art that participates directly in its subject matter. It is stronger to do a thing than to talk about a thing. Mischief makes artworks that live directly in the systems they critique, instead of hiding inside white-walled galleries. There is no better way to start a conversation about consumer culture than by participating in consumer culture. Side note, we're going to get to that in a minute when they sell the lawsuit t-shirt, but we're not there yet. We choose a specific medium to engage with a specific subject matter, We will make shoes, stream video, publish books, make paintings and sculpture, build apps or web services. Everything is in service to the concept. Mischief is fully context chameleonic. I didn't know that was a word. One year ago, we released the Jesus shoe. As a manifested speculative artwork, Jesus shoes conflates celebrity collab culture and brand worship with religious worship into a limited edition line of art objects. Last week's release of the Satan shoe in collaboration with Little Nas X was no different. Satan shoes started a conversation while also living natively in its space. It is an art created for people to observe, speculate on, purchase, and own. Here... (laughs) Heresy only exists in relation to doctrine. Who is Nike to censor one but not the other? Satan is as much a part of the art historical canon as Jesus. From Renaissance, Hellmouths to Milton, Satan exists as the challenger to the ultimate authority. We were delighted to work with Little Nas X on Satan's shoes and continue this dialogue. We are not affiliated with Nike as we have constantly iterated to the press. We were honestly surprised by the action Nike has taken. And immediately after Nike's counsel sent us notice, we reached out but received no response. 
Mischief strongly believes in the freedom of expression, and nothing is more important than our ability and the ability of other artists like us to continue with our work over the coming years. We look forward to working with Nike and the court to resolve this case in the most expeditious manner. Given the current circumstances, this action by Nike will also prohibit Little Nas X's Twitter giveaway for Satan's Shoes edition 666 from happening indefinitely. We appreciate everyone's patience and continued support during the process. Now that was released April 1st. The very bottom says, the very bottom of the statement says better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. (laughs) They've definitely doubled down. Um, With that, the court issued a temporary restraining order. The response from Mischief to Nike's motion for temporary restraining order reads very much like their press release. They point out that the Satan shoe is not any different than the Jesus shoe, and Nike didn't sue over Jesus, even though there was outrage over that shoe, too, because it was blasphemous, according to the tweets attached in the letter from Mischief Studios to the court. Mischief Studios talks about the fact that there is no um, threat of irreparable harm related to the shoes because the shoes have sold and shipped, that they're not going to damage Nike's brand, that the Consumers in this case are a very sophisticated consumer. They understand that what they're buying is a mischief product and not a product direct from Nike, that it's a customized art piece and not just a shoe. The $1,000 price tag gives it away. The fact that you have to buy it on Mischief's app and not through you know Nike.com or any other resale outlet should give it away. Of course, Nike is going to argue that the average consumer seeing the swoosh is going to be confused, which we've seen on Twitter but people who are highly engaged are not going to be confused. Yes, if this argument sounds familiar, it is the same arguments that went on in the Taylor Swift Evermore case where Taylor Swift's lawyers were arguing, look, Swifties who are seeking out Evermore the album are highly sophisticated. They're going to make sure that what they're getting is a Taylor Swift product. They're not going to confuse it with the theme park. And the theme park was trying to say, yeah, but people might confuse the two. Same thing here. Mischief is arguing, look, our consumers are very savvy. They know how to purchase our shoes. And Nike's ordering or arguing, yes, but somebody on the street might not. And uh, clearly Twitter does not. (laughs) The Twitter sphere is confused. And I've got to say, I've seen that too. I've seen a lot of outrage and confusion over these shoes. Let's talk about what the court said in this temporary restraining order. The court said that, quote, plaintiff Nike Inc. filed this action against Mischief Products Studios Inc., alleging violations of several trademark statutes and common law in connection with Mischief's marketing of a, quote, Satan shoe bearing Nike's trademark. Nike has moved for a temporary restraining order to show cause for a preliminary injunction pursuant to the length of act, and that's the statute that governs the trademark stuff the preliminary injunction, again, will hold this over until the suit is resolved. The court reviewed plaintiff's complaint, the memorandum of law in support of plaintiff's motion for a TRO and preliminary injunction, the supporting declarations, and other evidence submitted therewith. For the reasons set forth below, I grant plaintiff's motion for a temporary restraining order pending resolution of its motion for a preliminary injunction. And I will cover this more in depth before that hearing for preliminary injunction because I expect that more documents will be filed by the parties. Based on this limited record, I conclude the facts set forth in the above-mentioned materials offer sufficient evidence that, one, Nike is the owner of the Nike wordmark and the Nike swoosh design. On March 29th, Mischief took orders for 666 pairs of Satan shoes. Well, actually 665 because one of them is a giveaway, but I digress. The Satan shoes contain the swoosh design and were marketed using the Nike word mark. Mischief also used Nike's trademark and logo on its website in several places. Nike has not given approval for Mischief's use of Nike's mark. Nike has shown a likelihood of success on at least some of its claims. Specifically, Nike has carried its burden at this stage of showing that Mischief's actions are likely to confuse and likely are confusing consumers about the origin, sponsorship, or approval of Mischief's goods. 
Nike has also demonstrated that Mischief's actions are likely to dilute and tarnish Nike's marks. And I think, I think the court is right on that based on just what I've observed. Nike has also demonstrated a likelihood of irreparable harm absent this temporary restraining order. On the record before me, defendant has not rebutted the presumption of irreparable harm. And I find that issuance of the requested temporary restraining order is in the public interest and that the harm to Nike in denying this motion outweighs the harm to mischief in granting it. Thus, on this limited record, I find that a temporary restraining order is necessary pending resolution of the motion for preliminary injunction. Defendant has asserted a First Amendment defense based on purported expression embodied by defendant's production and sale of the Satan shoes. I'll get to that in a minute. First Amendment rights of artistic expression are paramount, and defendant will have a full opportunity to pursue this affirmative defense at the preliminary injunction stage if it chooses. The burden lies with the defendant, however, that's mischief, on the affirmative defense, as counsel for mischief acknowledged at oral argument. As of now, based on the limited record before me, defendant has not carried the burden. So the burden being, why is the First Amendment right outweighing Nike's right to protect its shoe on its trademark because it is a business that operates in commerce? The temporary restraining order is granted, it's so ordered, and it prevents mischief from doing the following. Fulfilling any orders for defendant Satan shoes. Here's the thing. This was ordered April 1st, and it looks like people were getting their shipping statements from March 30th. The timing of when these shoes shipped will be very important because I'm sure Nike is going to go to the court and be like, if this shit has shipped, you need to recall it because they said that in their motion. And if it shipped after this was issued, then there need to be additional penalties for disregarding the court's order. I don't know if that has happened. We will see if Nike has proof of that and can argue that. Mischief is also enjoined from using the Nike wordmark or the Nike swoosh, (laughs) referring to or using any prohibited marks in advertising, marketing, promotion, or helping anyone else do the same. Now, what I haven't mentioned is part of what poked the bear on this, and I wonder how the court took it. I did, did not hear the hearing or the preliminary injunction. But in Nike's motion or their response to the court before the oral argument on April 1st, Nike indicated that Mischief was not taking this seriously, that Mischief essentially baited Nike into suing, and that Mischief even put up for sale a shirt. And you can go to my Twitter account and see it or any of the videos where I cover this and see the image of it. But a shirt, a whole ass shirt called legal fees, and they are charging $66.60. And it is a red shirt with little devil horns on it. And the face page of the lawsuit, which I think is copyrighted to the attorneys that wrote it. I don't think you can actually do that. Mischief is like mischief managed. We don't, we don't give any of the fucks. So we're selling it. It's hilarious to me. It's shady. It also riled the Nike lawyers, which rightfully so. Like if I was a Nike lawyer, I'd be like, are you joking me that this is what you're doing right now? However, if I was working at mischief, I would be like, damn the man, save the empire. So I get it. Like I get it from both because the shade is, you know, magnificent. But also if you're engaged in this kind of a lawsuit, it would be deeply, deeply frustrating. So mischief is going to continue arguing First Amendment artistic expression savvy buyers. Nike's going to continue to argue, yeah, but everyone thinks these are Nike shoes, they're Satan shoes, and we can't have that. It tarnishes our brand. I would love to hear what you think about this case. I am going to break it down more after the preliminary injunction. It will be very interesting to see if that's granted, see what additional things are filed, and see what the court finds. I am going to be following this case to the end because I think it's Sparks on a lot of topics that are really important to not just creators, but to individuals and to resellers. Like, where are the boundaries between modifying and reselling? And what is the court going to establish going forward with this? Or, or is mischief going to be like, uh, yeah, we got a whole bunch of publicity off of that. We're super grateful. We're cool now. Nike, how can we make it right? Like, how can we make it nice with you? 
We would like to not be in this lawsuit anymore. We're done. Um, we'll use Adidas for our next shoe. Now, mind you, the Mischief brand also made a Birkenstock shoe, but it was spelled Birkin like the Birkin bag, not Birkin like the Birkenstock shoe sandal thing. And they cut up Birkin bags. Yeah, like the ones that retail for well over $10,000 and have like a waiting list. Those bags, the Birkin bags, they cut up Birkin bags and made Birkenstock sandals out of them. So this is not their first foray. Foyer? Not foyer. Foray. <laughs> With footwear. I was trying to make an alliteration and failed. I failed on the footwear foray <laughs> by saying foyer. <laughs> Either way, that is the TLDR with Nike and the Satan shoes. Little Nas X isn't being sued. He's not involved with this at all, but I'm sure that all this drama definitely boosted streams and downloads of his song, which is available now if you want to go check it out. I mean, hashtag not sponsored, but it's it's kind of a bop. I'm just going to be honest. It kind of is. And from Satan shoes, we find ourselves in Salt Lake City with real housewife Jen Shaw. Yep. If you haven't watched Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, I'm going to catch you up real quick on who Jen Shaw is and why she was arrested by the feds while they were filming season two of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Oh my God, it's so much. If you did not watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, look, there's only one season. It's not hard to get into. Jen Shaw was a controversial housewife. She definitely pushed the plot lines along. She definitely had her moments. She was the Teresa Judice, and willfully so, in my opinion, of Salt Lake City. She talked about no longer being Mormon. Uh, she talked about the fact that she is a woman of color. She is a Pacific Islander. Her husband is a football coach. She is, is polarizing at best because when she drinks, she goes in on people. It was a very interesting season. Um, if you haven't watched it, watch it. But just know she was a more controversial figure. She she was not bland by any means. She definitely came in spicy and more so when she was drinking. But she flaunted a very, very lavish lifestyle. And where have we heard that before? <clears throat> Erica Girardi. <clears throat> er- Erica Girardi. <laughs> So the lifestyle was on full display with the Shaw Chalet that is this massive, beautiful home. Uh, It looked like it was in Park City. I don't know if it was actually in Salt Lake City, but this beautiful home that we now have learned is rented. No shade to people who rent. It's a multi, multi multi-million dollar mansion, but it's interesting to me how when we get a peek behind the curtain sometimes with some of these Housewives shows, we're looking at wealth that is being shared that might not be the whole story. And that seems to be the case here too. So I was live streaming about the Satan shoes last week on March 30th. I got off the live stream. I opened my phone and Twitter was going nuts and my phone was going nuts because Jen Shaw had been arrested. Y'all know I'm a Housewives fan. I'm not even going to apologize for the trash TV that I have watched my whole life because now I am ready. My moment is here and I can talk about law and my experience as a criminal attorney and Housewives all together. (laughs) And I live. But she was arrested on the 30th. The story goes, and I was in the most amazing Bravo clubhouse room hearing from those who had uh, sources with production, hearing from those who were hearing the word on the street. Word on the street, this is a this is a rumor. This is a rumor, word on the street, is that they were filming and getting ready to film the ladies' trip. The cast go on trip. You know how housewives work. They go on a trip. They all drink a lot. They sometimes fight. They sometimes cry. If you're Vicky Gumbleson, you maybe pee on a bed. It's a whole thing. The, that's, the Trace Amigas happen on a girl's trip, right? It's a thing. They were getting ready to go on a girl's trip. Apparently, Jen Shaw got a call, told production and the cast that her husband was going to the hospital or was in the hospital and she had to leave and she bounced. She apparently, the uh, the FBI stopped the FBI <laughs> stopped the cast van and talked to the ladies about where Jen Shaw was. She was later located um, in another vehicle and 
was detained there and then was taken into court that afternoon in Salt Lake City and held over for arraignment that ended up being on April 2nd. It got delayed one more date because of technical difficulties. What we learned from the arraignment on April 2nd is that incident to that arrest or or because of the unsealed indictment on the 30th, her home was searched and her assistant who was also arrested and charged that day, his home was also searched. And we heard about some of the things that came up in that search at the arraignment, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Jen Shaw got arrested on the 30th, came into court in Salt Lake City. If you've seen the pictures on social media, she was in full glam, right? Because she was supposed to be going on a girl's trip. She was filming. She, I mean, she looked great. Her, She was wearing uh, like a knee-high leopard print boot, what looks like it is a mink coat skinny jeans. She looked cute. I mean, if you're going to have to come out of federal court, I I wouldn't be mad at looking the way Jen Shaw looked. I mean, at least they didn't go in at like 3 a.m. and drag her out of bed and drag her to court. She wouldn't, I mean, maybe wouldn't have looked nearly as cute, but they got her in the middle of the day while she was in full glam. She should be happy with the feds because of that. It's like, hey, at least they let her be great. The pictures are going to be iconic. When I talk about this though, the charges alleged are very serious and it's alleged with hundreds of victims. That means there are hundreds of people's families and themselves that have been upended because of what's alleged to have happened here. And again, these are all allegations, innocent until proven guilty, totally a thing. Also, the feds don't fuck around. Also a thing. Those are, those are facts on both sides of it. This is being prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, the Southern District. They do not play, but they also didn't play with their press release because the shade in this press release was glorious. I'm going to give you a bit of the press release just to summarize this from the authorities here. It gives you an idea of what the scheme is, and then I will tell you a little bit about what these charges are, and then we'll get into what we learned from the arraignment, and then we're going to hop out because this is a brief. We're supposed to be brief here. We're supposed to be just just breaking down the case a little bit. Again, this is Jen Shaw and her assistant, Stuart Smith, who were both arrested in Utah March 30th. Manhattan U.S. Attorney Audrey Strauss said Jennifer Shaw, who portrays herself as a wealthy and successful business person on reality television, and Stuart Smith, who is portrayed as Shaw's first assistant, allegedly generated and sold lead lists of innocent individuals for other members of their scheme to repeatedly scam. In actual reality, and as alleged, the so-called business opportunities pushed on the victims by Shaw, Smith, and their co-conspirators were just fraudulent schemes motivated by greed to steal victims' money. Now these defendants face time in prison for their alleged crimes. Um, Homeland Security Special Agent in Charge Peter C. Fitzhugh said, quote, Shaw and Smith flaunted their lavish lifestyle to the public as a symbol of their, quote, success. In reality, <laughs> They allegedly built their opulent lifestyle at the expense of vulnerable, often elderly, working-class people. As alleged, disturbingly, Shaw and Smith objectified their very real human victims as, quote, leads to be bought and sold, offering their personal information for sale to other members of their fraud ring. Working with our partners at the NYPD and United States Attorney's Office, SDNY, and with the assistant of HSI Salt Lake City, HSI New York, worked to ensure that Shaw and Smith will answer for their alleged crimes. As a result, their new reality may very well turn out differently than they expected. And finally, NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea said, these individuals allegedly targeted and defrauded hundreds of victims, but thanks to the hard work of NYPD and our law enforcement partners, this illegal scheme was brought to an end. I congratulate the NYPD detectives, Homeland Security Investigations, and the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York for their hard work in bringing these persons to justice. Now, what I will note about this press release is that both the special agent in charge and the U.S. Attorney Mention the words reality more than once. It is not lost on me that both of these individuals are on a reality TV show. I think it was absolutely shade. The best line from this, no offense to U.S. Attorney Audrey Strauss, 
she, look, she used the word business person. I love inclusive language. I love that she said this, (laughs) these were just fraudulent screams motivated by greed. I mean, it reads like the beginning of the Toddy Westbrook business partner lawsuit. This is a lawsuit because of the defendant's greed. I mean, that's where we're at. But HSI special agent in charge, Peter Fitzhugh, said their new reality may very well turn out differently than expected. Now, you wouldn't know that from Jen Shaw's Instagram, where she's been posting things like you find out who your real friends are and, you know, don't believe the hype and and just and her new blowout and all of it. She, her 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 posts on Instagram are more tone deaf and annoying than Erica Jane's are for me because this woman's been arrested, she's been arraigned, she's been told she's facing substantial prison time and by the way, the wire fraud carries 50 years. The money laundering carries 20 years. Oh, no, 50 together. The uh money laundering carrying 20 and the wire fraud carrying 30. Those are the maximum sentences. I don't think they'll get the maximum sentences, but after the arraignment, I definitely think prison time is anticipated by the AUSA in this case. Let's talk about that arraignment a little bit. I attended the arraignment by phone as a, you know, as an observer, as a member of the public so I could bring you the information. This case with Jen and Stort is catching up to an underlying indictment. The underlying indictment was unsealed and served in November 2019. That indictment has nine other defendants, 10 other defendants, my apologies, 10 other defendants, and four of those defendants have already pled guilty. I have not seen that they have been sentenced. One of the sentencing dates is set for June 24th. It will be very telling what that individual gets sentenced to. So the Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith are being folded or pulled into that underlying indictment, and they are on a train that's already moving. The judge has set this thing for trial at the end of October, and away we go. So Shaw and Smith's attorneys are going to be hustling to catch up because I'm sure that the discovery in this case, meaning the information that the prosecutors will turn over, is a fuck ton. I'm sure we're talking terabytes of data that is being turned over. I would be shocked if it was less, given that this is a financial crime and this alleged fraud ring has been going on since 2012. Speaking of which, I should just reiterate, the charges in this case, charge one, are the conspiracy to commit wire fraud, the fraud being this underlying telemarketing ring where leads were being sold and individuals were being defrauded. If you are on my Twitter or if you've looked at my Twitter, I posted some of the Better Business Bureau, I don't want to say reviews, complaints about one of the underlying businesses here. And individuals really laid out the way that they were defrauded. And you can go over there and take a look. And if you don't see it, just let me know and I will point you in that direction. But it was this selling a business opportunity scheme that didn't really exist. That's the basis of the wire fraud. The money laundering scheme is alleged to have gone on from 2012 to 2019. Interestingly enough, they didn't allege it beyond when that other indictment dropped, which is so interesting to me. Like the money laundering behavior they're alleging really stopped after that other indictment dropped, where with Shaw and Smith, they're alleging that the telemarketing scheme continued through March 2021. There's also forfeiture allegations here, meaning the property that's listed or property that's traced back to the quote crime money or the money proceeds from these crimes can be taken by the government in addition to restitution. Or if there is no restitution, they can take property as well. Now, with the money laundering, it's it's very simple. Money laundering literally means cleaning the money, trying to hide the origin of the money, trying to make it seem that the money didn't come from this criminal enterprise. And the allegations in here are that extensive lengths were taken to make sure that this money was moved offshore, that money origins were not discoverable, and that Shaw and Smith didn't have their names on the businesses that money was moving through. So that's a very, uh, very interesting in light of the fact that at the arraignment, 
the U.S. attorney said that Shaw and Smith were at the very top of this scheme. It's interesting to me that they were at the very top of the scheme, but they weren't charged in the November indictment with the others. That leads me to believe, and this is an assumption that I am making based on how this is playing out, that one or all of the four individuals that pled helped point the AUSAs in the direction or provide information that might have pointed the AUSAs in the direction to tie Shaw and Smith into this ring. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It could be that other evidence tipped them off once they had the initial group. But it's interesting to me that some of those individuals pled about three months ago, and now we're seeing this indictment come down. And not only did we see this indictment come down, but the NYPD commissioner saying this is the end of this ring, meaning they're not anticipating anyone else will be indicted on this. They didn't say that the investigation into this ring is ongoing. And with the AUSA's statement during the arraignment proceeding saying that they are at the very top of this scheme. So interesting to me. Other things that happened during the arraignment is that bail was set at a million dollars or bond was set at a million dollars. There's going to be signatories on the bond. Shaw has to put up $250,000 of either collateral property or cash in the next two weeks. The court initially seemed to wonder if Shaw was a flight risk. And then after the government opened up and was like, this is all the information, the court was like, yep, yep, got it, got it. I do believe she's a flight risk. Uh, She didn't have a passport that we know of. It was expired and that's been turned over. But if there is an active passport, that must be turned over. It's also interesting to me that the government argued that the $250,000 in cash was modest in light of the fact that one of the businesses in this scheme moved about $5 million in the last few years. Most of it, um, the government believes, has been taken out in cash. Also, the government made note of the fact that on the financial statement that was provided by Shaw to pretrial services, and these are the individuals that are almost like probation officers, but for pretrial, so they are monitoring individuals that are out on release before they come into trial in the federal court, that in the financial statement, it didn't indicate any income. And so the AUSA was like, this seems unreliable. And the court actually called Jen Shaw's financial statement highly unreliable. And the attorney was like, well, she has some cash from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and she makes some money from other businesses, a lash business, a skincare business, and a fashion business, as well as the show. And all of that, given the court's like, well, why isn't it on your financial statement? Look, that that stuff needs to be disclosed. And the AUSA argued to the court that Shaw did not have a willingness to disclose. That wasn't quite the same when it came to her co-defendant, Smith. It seemed that he had been more forthcoming. He was taking some more pretrial actions. It was clear that the court was more annoyed with Shaw and her counsel than with Smith and his counsel, from my perspective, listening in at that arraignment. What else came out of that? Interesting that Shaw has no property in her name. Interesting that she is receiving treatment at a facility called Lion Rock that seems to be a uh, mental health and or alcohol treatment program. That is not unusual when somebody's out pending trial. They want to show the court their willingness to, to do better, if you will. And the court ordered no excessive use of alcohol, which made me wonder, like, is she still going to be filming Real Housewives? Because, like, her whole character arc (laughs) is summarized by excessive use of alcohol. So I was curious about that. It was also interesting to me that when it came to one of her conditions of release with no contacting uh, victims or witnesses or anyone connected to this scheme, that her attorneys argued to modify that so that it was clear that it was victims and witnesses known to her. I think that was very reasonable of her attorneys to argue, but also it goes to this scheme being, you know, alleged to be over a hundred victim, if not hundreds of victims, and that she might not know everyone that was victimized or personally victimized by Regina George. No, that's not what it means. It means that she might not know all of the victims of this fraud scheme because it is so far reaching as alleged and that she can't say to the court, 
I don't know if I have had contact because I don't know everyone who's been personally victimized by Regina George. I'm just going to make the joke again. I can't help it. (laughs) And that really is where we're at with this. Her legal team is going to be pushing to get all of the discovery and start distilling it. I imagine Smith's attorney will want to talk to the AUSAs. He is her assistant. He's her first assistant. It seems that he's an employee. And if he's an employee, I imagine his argument is going to be, one, my employer needs to pay my legal fees. Two, my employer got me into this. AUSA, what would you like to know? I know some things. Or at least that would be my advice if I was his attorney, which I am not. The Next court dates will be regarding pretrial motions. There may be more court dates before that, depending on what happens with discovery. That means, again, the information that's going to get turned over to Shaw's attorneys. And we will see how quickly this pops up. I'm very curious to see what the sentencing is for the four defendants that have pled. I'm also very interested in the fact that the AUSA in this case said that this case carries substantial substantial prison time and was saying that as it related to Jen Shaw being released and potentially being a flight risk from the government's perspective, because it was almost as if the government attorney was saying, shit just got real and we don't need her to realize that and bounce. So what we are going to do is have a substantial financial uh, stick, if you will, to keep her from bouncing. It'll be very interesting. She's still posting on social. So, I mean, people are going to know where she is because she's still posting on the social media. It'll be very interesting to see if she continues to film with Housewives. I don't know if her attorneys will want her to do that, but maybe they will so she can continue to pay them. We'll see now that she's put up $250,000 towards her bond. Fascinating stuff. White collar crime in Real Housewives was definitely not what I was expecting this early in 2021. And this is the first housewife we've seen where she's in trouble for her own actions, not just for actions connected with something her spouse was doing. And this is kind of the biggest, the biggest that we've seen. This is a very substantial federal case as alleged and, and 11 defendants in this fraud ring. This is going to be a big trial if it goes forward in October. And I will continue breaking it all down because damn it, I am fascinated. And white collar crime was always my favorite. So that is the TLDR on Jen Shaw. And even though vaccines are rolling out, we're still in a pandemic. I mean, it's it's lessening. Things are opening. But other places are still locked down, and I still haven't been back to a Dave Matthews Band concert, and I don't even know if that's happening this summer. So grab a glass and raise it with me. Say it loud. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being here with me again this week, and thank you for being a Lawnard. I will see you in the next one. (laughs) 